0: (laughs) You beat me to it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So we're going to jump in today because we've got a lot to cover. We're in a new series called We Are the Church. Here's why we're doing this series. So as of January until today, we've had 300 new people come to Life Church. Um, And so we're trying to figure out the best way to be able to communicate, hey, like, uh, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And... To help you, if you're one of those people, decide if this is a good place to stay, right? Because that's important to understand that, like, is this a place that you want to continue to come, a place that you want to get involved in and be a part of? So we're going to spend four weeks, you know, talking about this whole idea of who we are, what is it that we feel like God is doing, and how God is using us, and then how we see us working together as a church. So We start with this. I think in every great organization, in every uh, great leadership movement, everybody has a mission, right? So if there is a mission, with a mission becomes a mandate. Otherwise, missions become things that are up on walls that never get done, right? A lot of people have mission statements that they write on walls, but if they don't get them done, it was never a mandate. It was just something to fire people up. Right? So mission statements or missions are mandates, and we have to be able to do something about it. So at Life Church, we would take what Scripture says and say, okay, like this is our mandate, right? This is our mission. This is our mandate. And then we're going to talk about how do we carry that out. So here's the mission and the mandate that we see in Scripture. So this is Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Here's what he says. end of the age. So here's the mission, the mission that Scripture gives every single person, right? Nobody gets to opt out of this. Every person who would call themselves a Christian has a mandate. Here's the mandate. You will reach people, right? And when we say it's a mandate, understand that it's not just a mandate from the standpoint of nobody's checking to see if you get it done. All of you will stand in front of Jesus someday and be held accountable for the mandate, who are you reaching? This is what it says. Who are you teaching? And who are you training up to send back out? That's the whole idea, right? Like you are going to be held accountable for it. So not only is it that he says, I want you to do it, he's going to be held accountable for whether you did it or not. And so I'm very, you know, adamant about this, This isn't a personality thing. Like a lot of people are like, well, I'm not evangelist because it's not my personality or I'm not a discipler because it's not my personality. I'm not a sender because it's not my personality. Personality has nothing to do with mission, right? Mission is still mission and you need to figure out how you made the way that you were made can carry out the mission. Reach people, teach people, train people up and send them back out. Now, we as a church organizationally, Believe this is our mission from God, and believe that it's a mandate. So, how do we get it done, right? Well, last week we introduced you to this idea of the table. So, the idea of the table is back to when Scripture says that uh, the bread of life—you know—it talks about the bread of life being Jesus. Well, He says that if people eat the bread of life, they will never be hungry and they'll never be thirsty again. So, here's how we feel: we feel like most people come into the church or come into relationship with a need, right? And how you go about meeting that need is dependent upon whether or not that's long-term success in your life or just a short-term thing. So when we say, when people come to the church, this is the idea. You might come with your marriage, you know, uh, uh, straining. You might come with relationships being strained. You might come with friendships being strained. You might come addicted to something. You might come with broken whatever, the idea is that there are people here that can help you, but the only person who can fix you is Jesus, period. No staff member, no counselor, no you know, person that, that's involved in life. Nobody can fix the problem other than Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, I am the bread of life. If you eat this, you will never hunger again and you'll never thirst again. We believe that's the answer. So we try to point everybody Jesus. will help, but the answer is not us. The answer is Jesus. The other thing that we challenge people with, this is the problem inside of the church. Everybody, once you're a Christian, what do you want? You want to get fed, right? That's the whole idea. I want to come, and I want to get fed, and people talk about that. I want to get fed. Well, the problem with getting fed is just like it is in life. If you eat a bunch and never exercise, there's a problem. Amen right? Like, if you eat a bunch and you never do anything with it, there's a problem. The same thing in the church. You can come and get fed, and you can eat, and you can eat, and you can eat, but if you never exercise your faith, you are just getting fat, right? So inside of the church, at times, we're full of obese Christian people, meaning that they got way more than they know than they'll ever do in their entire life. So come and get the bread, but push away from the table. There's a job to do, right? And that we already know what the job is. Reach them, teach them, send them back out. Like we have work to be able to do in that. So we do that around the bread, of the, around the table. The other idea is, is that we talk about the four chairs. So I'm not going to go in depth about the four chairs uh, because we're going to do them each week. But there's the head chair, which is the staff or the leadership of the church. And our responsibility is prepare the meal, right? Challenge people to eat the meal and then be able to exercise their faith Chair one third of your church should be made up of people who don't know Jesus That's chair one and this is how we make all of our decisions on what we do Chair two are those people that who just gave their life to Christ 28 people getting baptized Coming baptism Sunday is pretty exciting, right? You should always have these people people that didn't know people who found, right? The bread of life, people that are getting baptized. Chair three, people that have given their life to Jesus Christ, have moved into chair two. They've they've developed and they're maturing in their faith, and now they're the people that are training people up, sending people out, chair three people. We're going to talk about each one of those chairs, obviously, except for the head chair each week, but we're going to focus on this chair today. Now, Understand that what I'm going to talk to you about today isn't just that we, this is all we focus on. Next week we're going to talk about chair two, the week after we're going to talk about chair three. But I want you to know why do we focus on and what's important about chair one. So chair one, people who don't know Jesus right? What is it that we do organizationally? Because I want you to understand this. If you're going to come here, I want you to understand who we are organizationally and what we do to care about chair one, people that don't know Jesus, and what we're doing to try to reach them. And then we're also going to talk about what does it look like individually, right? So what do we do individually? So we believe that there is an organizational responsibility of the church, and there's a personal responsibility of all of us, as the people or the, 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 workers that God has in their life. So here's what I want to talk to you about. It's a couple different things. So the first one, as an organization, how do we show that we value those who are lost? Now, what you do and how you organize tells a world what you value. Does that make sense? So as an organization, what you do and the actions that you do tell a world that's watching what you value. So here's what we said at Life Church from the beginning. Here's one of the things that we think is a great deterrent to people who don't know Jesus. Country clubs, right? Country clubs are a huge deterrent to people of faith or people that want to come to faith. And here's what I'm saying: country clubs, like clicks, like if you ever felt like you're outside of a click, like there's a click and you don't fit in, or there's a group of people who all know each other and do things a certain way, and then you come in and you're like, the first thing that you think is, I don't belong. Anybody, right, like that idea? Well, if you talk to unchurched people, one of the greatest deterrents is that they feel like the church is like a country club. Right? It's a bunch of people who know each other, a bunch of people that do things together, and when the outsider comes in, they don't feel very welcome. Right? Like it feels like the church is this separate entity that's only made for certain people. So I always said this if we ever get to plant a church, right? If we ever get an opportunity to plant a church, when we get a building, here's going to be the one thing that people are going to know as, as soon as we plant this church the building is gonna be open seven days a week for all people because I don't want there's like the church and it's country club and the people from the outside. I want it to be this building is for all of God's people, saved and unsaved, right? That's what we wanted to say from the beginning. We wanted people to recognize that this is for everybody. That's why we started the Cafe of Hope, like the whole idea of the Cafe of Hope Business for Mission that you see today we wanted this idea. Like, we don't think anymore that people are just wandering into the church, like people that are unsaved. Like, we don't think that people are just walking by your building and be like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to come in. Right? Like, we don't think that's happening anymore. We think that churches are going to have to do something to give, get touch points with people who don't know Jesus outside of the Sunday morning. Right, so the idea of the Cafe of Hope was well, we're going to start the Cafe of Hope so that we can be open seven days a week and we can have the opportunity to get touch points with people who would never walk into a church. That we can hire people who don't know Jesus but we can show them the love of Jesus or we can hire people that do know Jesus that then can turn around and show the love of Jesus to people who walk in the door every single day. Now, you know what the funny thing is? So when we first started... Uh, the Cafe of Hope. I say this you know, when I talk to people. It's kind of an exaggeration, but it gets the point. You know, like when we first started the church, I said we kind of had like protesting people from the church community. Well, it wasn't any different when we started the Cafe of Hope. We started the Cafe of Hope. There was a group of people that came on our grand opening, and they came in, and they wanted to meet with me, wanted to talk to me, and they pulled me over to the side, and they were like, listen, we know what you're doing. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, what, what do you mean? I know what you're doing. They're like, we know what you're doing. You're trying to get people to come to your church. Like these are church people, right? You're just trying to get people to come to your church. And I'm like, well, duh. I mean, isn't, (laughs) I mean, isn't everybody trying to reach the unchurched people? Like, isn't that the idea? Like, isn't the idea if it's a mandate, can't we give every opportunity possible to try to reach people who don't know Jesus? Right? Like that's the whole idea of everything. So I have no, I mean, I have no clue. Like I know what they were talking about. What they were talking about is like, if we open up the cafe, you know, people from other churches are going to come to your church. And I get what they're saying. Like the churches, you we're not about shuffling the deck, but at the end of the day, here's what I've always said. If you come here, I don't care where you came from, just get on mission and let's work together. Does it matter? I mean, does it matter what church you go? Just be on mission at the place that you're at so that God can use you in an amazing ways. So space for us was ultimately important so that we could show the love of Christ, whether it's Cafe of Hope, Champs of Academy, creative abilities. Anybody know upstairs, if you walk out here in the cafe, you can buy stuff over here? You know, well, that's creative abilities. who so are up here all week long making stuff so that they can sell through the Cafe of Hope to people out there to be able to get it. Some of the greatest conversations I have all week long, some of the best hugs I get all week long are from creative abilities, right? They come down, they say hi. Every time I walk upstairs, it's always like, hey. And it's for all of us as a staff, right? And we love it. But here's the other thing. So that all makes sense, right? So you use a building and you want to reach people. And when you're small and you say that to the church people, it's all OK because there's plenty of space. Does that make sense? Like this building's 60,000 square feet. And I'm sitting here saying, don't worry. We're sharing all the space. And everybody's like, I don't care. There's so much space. We'll never use it. But you know what happens when you grow? So here's what happens when you grow, right? All of a sudden, you know that tension that we didn't have in the beginning that would say, we don't care, it's all shared space, you know, It's kind of like first come, first serve. Well, all of a sudden, you get this like, well, wait a second, you know, and, and I don't mean this bad, so if this was you, I'm not talking bad about you, I'm just saying like this is the tension, so I want to have a small group on, my, on conference room A and conference room A is booked and they're mad and they say, well, wait a second. Doesn't church people get priority? And I'm like, no, there's no priority. Like we're all the same. Like you can book rooms and you can do things, but we never want to say, well, you know, that person because they're not of the church doesn't get the same respect as somebody that's not in the church. Right? it 's all the same, and we want to show to the world like this is what it looks like, and we want those things to be able to happen because what we do, how we operate, shows what we value right and it 's not that we don 't value people that are in chair two and chair three, but we can 't do it in the spite of not caring about chair one. Does that make sense right? So how we use our space, the other thing is our social media, you know my view on social media, I hate it, right I hate social media, I think that you could like go down these rabbit holes and you can be spending all this time on social media and it doesn't make any sense. But there is a role for social media. You know what the role is? We have an opportunity right now that has never been able to happen before. The message of Jesus Christ through social media can be spread in areas in in a way that it could have never been done 10 years ago. Never. Right? Like The gospel of Jesus Christ used in the right way on social media can go into places that it could never, ever go into before. It can be used as opportunities in closed countries in the ways that have never been able to be used before, right? So social media has a role, right? So when we talk about social media, here's what we talk about. Everything that we put out on social media is for you to use, right? And it's because here's what we're expecting. We're expecting that every single person in this room knows somebody that is unchurched and is praying for their salvation. That's what we would expect. You know why we would expect that? Because that's what Jesus expects of you, not the church, right? Jesus expects of you to know of those who aren't saved by name and be praying for them by name and be praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. That's what the scripture tells us to do. So you know what we're saying? Hey, if we can help you, we're going to put things out on social media that if you share, it can support what you're talking about. If you're talking, you can share it onto your your timeline and you can be able to show that person, like, this is what I was saying. This is what I was talking about. You get to spread the gospel through sharing certain things that we put out for the opportunity to help you, right? So that's how we use social media for chair one, right? For chair one, we want to put out content so that you can share, so you can use to be able to reach people. Events, right? So what do we do as an organization when it comes to events? We do a lot of them, but I'm just going to share one because it might be, you know, uh, for people that know this. So we just did um, Riding for Christ. I don't know if anybody was a part of Riding for Christ, but, you know, it was the horse show where they did the uh, uh, barrel racing and then pole racing. So uh, they put that on. Well, that came from a guy who said, "You know what? I want to reach my friends. I want to reach people who are riding horses that don't always get the opportunity to come to church. So I want to bring church to them." I'm like, "Sure, right? Let's let's get out there." And so you know how we're going to show the love of Christ to people. You know how we're going to share the gospel with people picking up barrels, right? getting the arena drug, making sure that people have water, making sure that people have food, you know, having a service, having worship, doing those things, but we're going to take it to people. Like, that makes sense, right? If we want to reach chair one, the church has got to be okay with taking Jesus to the people. You can't always just keep it in here right? Like you can't always just make it fit on the times that you make it fit. If we really want to do this, if we really want to reach these people, we got to be able to take it out. And so we as an organization want to be able to support that. Sunday morning, right? Here's our expectation on a Sunday morning. We would call ourselves a guest-friendly church. And the reason that we would say that is, is we have an expectation, right? And our expectation comes from our mission statement. The mission statement says you need to reach people, we are guessing in the course of a year, you're going to bring a friend to church, a guest, right? Like, because that's your mandate. Like if you're coming, we're saying that in the course of a year, we're not asking you to bring 20, but you ought to be able to bring one, right? So we're expecting your guests. So we have people at the front door. They're gonna make sure that a person isn't gonna walk in and feel like they're out of the click right? So, when they walk in, they're going to feel comfortable. When they come to the front door, when they walk into the cafe, they're going to feel like they're a part of the people that are here. So, we do everything we can to support. When they come in, like we've always, uh, this is kind of a joke at Life Church, but um, every time somebody who is churched comes to Life Church, we get this suggestion why don't you have everybody stand up and welcome each other? And I'm like, there is no way in God's green earth we're doing that. You want to know why? Because if you cared about those people and you wanted to say hi to them, you would do it on your own without making somebody, making you stand up and do it. I'm not going to create this fake environment. If you wanted to welcome somebody, then get your butt in here and say hi to them right? We shouldn't have, to. you know how weird it seems to an unchurched person that they're sitting there and nobody welcomed them the entire time, you know, and they're sitting there by themselves, and then all of a sudden the pastor's like, why don't everybody get up and say hi? And they're like, it's just so good to see you. They're like, faker, faker, he's a faker, right? Like nobody believes that that guy that all of a sudden turns to you and says hi is sincere. Nobody believes that. Right? And so we've always said, we're going to create environments that if you bring your friend, you don't have to worry. Nothing weird like that's going to happen. Right? But we're not going to say, why well, don't all the first-time guests stand up and we'll welcome you. Right? Like that, those things, on a Sunday morning, we create every environment possible so that if you bring a friend, they're not only going to feel welcome, we're going to do everything, and we've been praying for this, that they're going to partake of the bread of life and their life is going to be changed forever right? Like that's what we're preparing for. That's what we're expecting to be able to happen on a Sunday morning. Same with money. You know, one of the things that's always a downfall, I think, of churches is people that are unchurched have this view of the church, right? And the view is, is all they want is my money, right? And so we do everything in our power to be able to make it. Obviously, if you've come here for a long time, we don't pass the plate, right? You know why we don't pass the plate? Because we think that if you are somebody who wants to give, you'll go find a place to give. We don't need to guilt you into it, right? If you want to give, there's a box. I actually don't know where they are. Oh, there they are. They're in the back, right? You'll figure out a place to give. Like, you'll figure out how to do it on your own. We're not going to pass a plate to make you feel like you should. That's what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do, not us. If you want to give, you can give, right? But if you're new, right, and you're just checking it out and you're not a believer, we wouldn't expect you to give anyway. So we do those kinds of things. Make it not about money. You know, the other thing we do is be prepared for this. If you haven't been here, every Christmas, right, we give money back, right? So we get to the end of every year. We take money that's been generously given and we give it back to you. And here's what we tell you to do because we never want it to be about the church. We're going to give you money back. We're going to put it in an envelope. We tell you, put more money with it, and we want you to go out into the world to those who are in need, and you be Jesus, not the church, right? Because what that showed is, shows is kingdom building and not empire building. Does that make sense, right? It's about a kingdom. We want you be Jesus. We don't want the church. The church is not Jesus. We're just an organization that supports you being on mission. And we think that we can help you by being able to give it back. So we have an organizational responsibility to show this chair matters. Okay, are we good? So that's some of the stuff that we do organizationally to show you that we care about this. Now, individually, so individually, we should all care about this, right? Like we should all care individually, that that person, those people are reached for Jesus. Would we agree with that? In fact, I would even go as far as to say this. Every single person in this room, if your mission and mandate was to reach, teach, and send, but you have no plan on reaching people, you will never reach them. Does that make sense? Like, I don't think it's going to happen randomly. Like, I don't think all of a sudden you're just going to randomly be like, hey, somebody wandered up to me, like, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're going to have to position yourself to be able to get that done. So here's what we say. Every person in this room should have a relationship evangelism plan. Okay? Here's what that means. If you don't know, because I said every single person should know people that don't know Jesus, and you should have a relationship evangelism plan with an idea of how you're going to reach those people. If you don't know somebody that doesn't know Jesus, then you should be in something, teaching, coaching, hunting, skiing. I mean, I don't know what it is, but you should be in something, basketball, football. You should be in a group of people where you're going to be in relationship in a way so that God's going to give you the opportunity to do what? Share Jesus, right? Like that's the whole idea. If we don't know him, you can't share Jesus with them. Right? So you should have a relationship evangelism, and we say relationship for this reason. Nobody, again, an exaggeration, hardly anybody comes to know Jesus when they're going to a Marilyn Manson concert, and you're screaming with a bullhorn that they're going to hell. (laughs) Maybe somebody does, but you know how most people come to know Jesus? Because you're in relationship with them, because you spend time with them, and when you get the chance, you share the love of Christ with them. That's the way that it works, and that's what we want to say. That's why we say relationship. Now, you want to know a big problem? We all know that's what we should do. Would we agree? Hopefully. 47%, 47% of all evangelical, Bible-believing Christian people in a survey done by Barna believe that it is wrong to evangelize. 47% of Bible-believing Christian people think it is wrong to evangelize. In that, they say the majority of those people come from a younger generation who would say this, it's not my responsibility to push my, my religion, my faith. Well, whose responsibility is it? If you're not going to share it, who is Right? If you're not, I mean, if you're worried that somebody might be offended, they are. They will. Right? I mean, they will. Like, people are going to get offended. That is the way that it works. But, and we're going to talk about this, done in the right way. Done in the right way. Not done in the wrong way, but done in the right way. You might have an opportunity to share Christ with somebody who's never heard before. Right. Here's the other issue. 47% of people, mostly young adults would believe not okay to evangelize. Here's the other problem. 40% of people that have been going to church for over 10 years have not invited somebody to church. <laughs> okay. of people that are going to church are not inviting, that's 40% of them, are not inviting anybody in the amount of 10 years. What are we doing? I'm not saying the church is the only answer, but I would believe that if you love Jesus and want to get together and gather with Jesus and the message of Jesus is being preached, why wouldn't you want to bring him? Why wouldn't you want to invite them? We don't know if they're ever going to come. Right? It's not our job to know whether or not they're going to come, but why wouldn't we invite? Why wouldn't we be a part of that? Like that makes no sense to me. We have an issue, right? We must not, at least over half of the people in churches today, must not believe that you are plan A when it comes to reaching people for the gospel. You're it. If you don't share, who will? If you don't talk, who will? If you don't go out and spread the gospel, who will? If you don't go out and get in a relationship with people that don't know Jesus, who will? Your plan A, God wants to use you to be able to get that done. We have got to fix that problem. Now, we already identified this. Part of the problem is the way that we deliver it. Okay. We agree with that. Like part of the problem is we don't deliver it in the right way. So one of the things we got to fix is what's your motivation to, to, to be in the lives of people who are lost? What should be our motivation, right? Because you remember when I'm talking about um, like the idea of how people share the gospel? Well, one of the things that we know is that we should share the gospel in the same realm as what God wanted to share the gospel with us. So John 3.16, everybody knows John 3.16, hopefully. All right, John 3:16. Let me read it to you if you don't know it. All right, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why did God send his son? Because he loved. You see, part of our problem in our world today is we're not loving Part of our gospel message is hateful and not, not done out of love. Instead of, you're going to hell, like, we love you and don't want to see you spend eternity separated from God. Like, we're good from a distance pointing at finger and t- pointing fingers at people, telling them where they're going, instead of loving them in a way to get them to know Jesus. Like, that's our struggle, right? Our struggle is that we don't have, not only do we not have a love, For lost people, I honestly believe that part of the epidemic in the church today is that we have people coming to church that don't care about lost people, which I don't even understand how that's possible, because you know why you still have breath today? Do you know why you're still living? Do you know why he is not taking you to be home right now? Yeah, you got a job. What's your job? The only thing that you can't get done once you're gone reach people, right? Like the idea of learning more, like you're going to learn everything about Jesus someday when you're standing up there in front of him. You're going to be able to worship him every day, 24 hours a day when you're up there with him someday. The one thing that you can't get done is reach people. When you're out of this earth, when you're out of this body, you're done. You don't get another chance. You don't get another opportunity. You only have one chance at this. You woke up with breath today for one reason. Reach people. That's our responsibility. And we've got to fix that problem, and we've got to go at it with this. For God so loved the world, and so do we. Right? We love in a way that we care about those people who are lost, that we care in, in, their, in their lives that we have a heart for them and that we will do everything possible to do that. Now, if you had any question whether or not there are still people to reach, like if you wondered that, so these are statistics. They, they're a little bit old, but I think that they're pretty close. 49% of Huntington, 49% of Huntington would say that they're Bible-believing Christians, 49%. So we still have some people that don't know Jesus. We agree with that. So Wabash, so uh, the statistics from Wabash, because we have some of you come from Wabash, 40% of people in Wabash would say that they were Bible-believing Christians, so we probably still got some people to reach, right? 40, just 40%. Well, and remember, we're in the Bible Belt. You know, these aren't the coast where these numbers are way higher. We're in the place where there's a church on almost every corner. There's a Christian in almost every business, right? There is a Christian presence in almost every place that you go. And we're still at those numbers. Columbia City, we have a few people here from Columbia City. 36% of people in Columbia City would say that they're Bible-believing Christians, right? So we still have a job. I guess that's what I'm saying. We have a responsibility to continue to reach, and there are people that would identify as not knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and you're the one who's going to fix it right? And so we need to be able to do it. So we need to do it in the way that God did it, which is understanding, you know, that our um, motivation is love, right? So our motivation is love. Now, how do we do it? What's our method, right? So what's the way that we can be able to do it in that? Well, this is in Acts 4.13. Here's what it says. Acts 4.13, when they, meaning the people uh, that were watching, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So here's the one thing you got to see from the beginning. You know the reason that the people in the square came to know Jesus that day? Because Peter and John decided to get out from behind a closed door and walk out into the court and be able to preach the gospel to people. You know what part of our problem is? We're not walking out of our comfort to take it out where people need it. If we're going to get the gospel out, you got to go out, right? If you want the gospel outside of these four doors or outside of these four walls, you got to be able to go out and take the gospel to people. So they went out. Now, here's the, the coolest thing. What changed the hearts of the people, like this is what's key. And I want you to understand this because this is honestly the thing that will change the world. What made thousands of people come to know Jesus that day, obviously other than the Holy Spirit, was that they looked at those men and they were what? Unschooled, ordinary men who people could tell had met Jesus. You see, we believe that the answer to the unsaved Christian problem today is preachers, just get better preachers and have better messages. That's not working. It's just not working celebrity preachers, people that everybody's like, oh, they're so good at what they do. Listen, you can be the best preacher in the world, and a movement of God is not going to happen because of a preacher on a stage. A movement of God is going to happen because the courage of the people went out and did something about it, and people are going to say, wait a second, those people, ordinary people, not paid professionals, not people that get up and do it every week, you know what I see? Those people have been with Jesus. That changes something. We have got to stop getting to this place where we think preachers and staff of churches or even churches alone are what's going to change the culture of an unsaved world. What's going to change the culture of an unsaved world is you. All the church is going to do is equip you and challenge you, equip you and challenge you. But a movement of God is not going to happen through preachers and it's not going to happen through teachers. It's not going to happen through podcasts. It's not going to happen through books. It's going to happen because unschooled, ordinary people who love Jesus are going to show a world that they love Jesus. Isn't that cool? Like That's what he's saying. Like That's the way that it's going to be able to get done and people are going to be able to see that. Now, here's the other thing. What should your message be? Have you ever thought about that? I got done. With it. I went to church today, and they told me I need to go out and I need to share the gospel with somebody. Anybody worried about what you're going to say? Like, you ever get to this place where you're thinking, like, I don't know what to say. Am I just supposed to sit down with that and say that uh, I was in church today and I think you're going to hell? You want to do something about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, anybody get to that point? Like, I have no idea what my conversation's going to be. I have no idea how I'm going to. Breach the subject, like I think they're going to help, do I just ask them, like, do you just go up to somebody and say, "Do you know Jesus? Tell me yes or no?" Or do we hand them a note? You remember the notes back in the day? If you like me, check yes or no. <laughs> do you know Jesus, check yes or no?" and just hand it back and turn around the table. You know what I mean? It's a hard conversation to figure out how to get Jesus into the conversation. So I want to share with you, and I think this will change a lot for you. Revelations 12:11. This will help you understand how to have this conversation. They being the people, right? So that Revelation 12, 11, they being the people that, that had made it through, it says they triumphed over him being Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Two things that I want you to see that gave them the ability to be able to change the world. Here was their message. You know what their first message was? The blood of the lamb puts all of us on equal playing field. You see that? You see, part of the problem is, is you know the divide? You know why um, people who are unsaved are struggling with people that are saved? Because you've elevated yourself in status above other people. You see, the blood of the lamb says we're all the same. We're all sinners falling short of the glory of God. We're all covered by the blood of Jesus, whether you're a teacher, preacher, You know, whether you're a person that is newly saved in the eyes of God, we're the same people. We're the same people. So I'm going to preach the gospel like I'm the same people. I'm I'm going to be with you because I'm like you, right? So the, the blood of the lamb puts us all in a place where we're all on the same page. Not one person is better than another person. And believe me, those people who are out there searching, that makes sense to them. What doesn't make sense to them is a Christian hierarchy where people are better than other people. That just doesn't make any sense. And it should never happen inside of a church. Nobody's better than anybody in this church. I don't care how long you've been coming here, we're all the same. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, we're all the same. I don't, know, I don't care how many Bible studies or things that you have studied, how long you've been in it, we're all the same. In the eyes of Jesus, covered by the blood of the Lamb, we're all going down the same road. And that makes the gospel attractive to people when we're all on the same page. You know the other thing that it says? through the power of their what? Testimony. Listen. Your testimony of being an overcomer, because that's what you are. Listen to me. Whether you overcame, because a lot of people are like, well, I don't really have a testimony because I didn't overcome drugs. or I don't have a testimony because I didn't overcome being homeless. Or I didn't have a testimony. I didn't overcome violence. Every day that you wake up, and have breath and give God a chance. You overcame Satan and his distractions from keeping you off track, and you are on track and you have overcome. That's your testimony. (laughs) Every day you get up and you get breath and you get a chance. That's your testimony. You don't have to wait and sit back till something bad happens to you. Every opportunity is share your testimony. I am a sinner covered by the blood of Jesus who woke up today to overcome an enemy to give me a chance. That's my testimony, right? And I'm going to tell you, and that's why I say I I don't have any problem sharing my story. Like every day I wake up, like if you want to know my story, I have no issue telling you my story all of the time. I have no issue because, I mean, you know, the the funny thing is that that people that were from Adams County like went to Adams Central like people that went from from Adams Central this might be harder for you to believe but most people who knew me back then if you tell them that I'm a preacher today they're going to be like is that seriously possible? And I'm just saying, like, I don't mind saying that. This was my life I overcame. This was my life I overcame. Even when I gave my life to Christ, this is my life and I'm overcoming. This is my challenge and I'm trying to get over it. These are my struggles and I'm trying to get better. Because that's the power of testimony. The power of testimony, what changes lives, not information inside of Scripture. Information is good, translated into changed lives, is powerful enough to have a movement of God. Right? That's what we need to be able to see, and that's what he's telling us that we need to be able to do. Now, what do we do, or how do we get it done? Acts 2, this is our last part, Acts 2, 42 through 47. It said, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders, and the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, so here's how we're going to end it. The worship team is going to come back up, talk about the things that they did. You know how we talked about in the beginning, like, one of the things that you need to be able to do is you need to be able to choose a place that you're going to call home, right? A church. Not meaning that you can't go to other churches, but you need a place where you can come. And here's, here's what Scripture would tell us, right? He tells us in there, one of the things that the early believers did is they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, Right? So you need to be committed, whether it's this church, another church, or a group of churches that you go to, you need to be committed to a teaching that keeps you on mission, right? That's what we need to be committed to. When he's saying be committed. What they did is they made a decision to be committed to people that were going to challenge them. When they came in, the teaching wasn't about making you feel comfortable. The teaching was about, here's where you are. This is what you need to do. Here's where you are. This is what you need to do. Here's what God's called you to. This is what you need to do. You need to commit yourself to a teaching that doesn't make you feel comfortable, but a teaching that makes you feel uncomfortable. Because that's honestly, if you read scripture, that's most of it. I always tell people when you're reading scripture and you're comfortable, you might want to keep reading because you're going to get to some stuff that gets you uncomfortable because there's all of us are reading stuff that we're not always doing, right? But it says you need to commit yourself to, to a teaching. So that's a challenge. The other thing is, is that they had everything in common. And sometimes that's like everybody has to believe the same way. So the church is full of Republicans or the church is full of Democrats or the church is full of rich people or the church is full of middle class people or the church is full of young people and the church is full of old people. I'm like, that's the most garbage thing I've ever heard. The greatest beauty in the church is diversity. People that believe all kinds of different ways about the way that the world works. But here's the key. They had everything in common. You know what they had in common? Reach teach, send. Reach, teach, send. I believe that I'm going to do it in this way, and I believe that I'm going to do it in this way, and I believe that I'm going to do it in this way. And everybody's sitting there saying, who cares as long as we're reaching, teaching, and sending? Right, There's a thousand ways to get it done. There's a thousand ways to go about it. That's the beauty of the diversity that he made everybody in this room with different talents, different gifts, different resources, different things that would say, as long as we have the same thing in common and you use what God gave you, the world's going to change because we all have the common mission, reach, teach, send, reach, teach, send. And then the other thing that he said is, don't forget this. They all would meet and they would break bread together. Listen, don't miss this. Some of the deepest spiritual conversations I have had have not been in churches. Some of the deepest spiritual conversations I've had is around a table or around a fire, right? You're sitting around a fire and you're, 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 you're with people. You're sitting around a table and you're with people and God just provides these opportunities for questions to come and things to come up and conversation to happen that don't happen inside of the church. They just don't. Create those opportunities around tables. Create those opportunities around fire. Give fires. Give God a chance to work. Right? Give him a chance where conversations can happen because when we do that, and when we work together, this is where we're at. Like the idea of reaching people for Jesus, the idea of thinking about chair one, it'll become a natural part of who you are. You won't have to have somebody make you feel guilty for not inviting somebody to church. You're always praying for somebody to invite. You're always praying for somebody to, 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 to bring to know Jesus Christ. It'll always be a part of your DNA. We you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can gather. We're thankful for the challenge, Lord, for us to never forget our mission and our mandate. Reach, teach, send, Lord, and we'll do everything in our power to keep doing that. Lord, let us never be a people who forgets about those who are lost. Let us never become a clique or a country club. Let us be a place that loves you and loves people. Let us be a place that thinks outside of the box when it comes to reaching new people for you. Lord, we just love you. In your name we pray, amen.